Imagine, if you will, yourself at 19, your first steps into adulthood. I don't know, maybe you're at uni, maybe you're experimenting with places and skills that might become your career. Maybe you're partying because you just feel like partying. You feel like going hard out. That's fine. Either way, most of us know what it feels like to be 19. If you're not 19 yet, I'm sure you can imagine how excited you're going to be. But yeah, if you're older than that, you remember what it's like to feel full of energy, full of ideas, really kind of starting to shape, uh, I guess, uh, a version of what might be the first go at our adult identity. If you're anything like me, you are unstoppable, invincible, 10 foot tall, bulletproof, no hill too steep to skate down, no shot too strong to throw down, no gig too big to rock like it was my last gig on earth. And that 19-year-old power, it really is something, isn't it? Now, just imagine, if you will, that in the middle of that youthful energy and, and drive and the kind of shaping of your adult self, just by a complete random chance, you get sick. I mean, really sick. So sick, you end up in hospital. And through a haze of painkillers and other medications, the doctors tell you that it's meningococcal septicemia. You end up in a coma. Things get really, really bad, worse. To save your life, you lose both legs and both arms. It takes a long time to get well. Eventually, you leave hospital. And now you're 19 and a quadruple amputee. How long do you think it would take for you to heal from that? Well, for Tom Nash, also known as DJ Hooky, it isn't until kind of now, in his 40s, that he believes he has truly begun to heal. Tom and I go way, way back to when he was a club promoter with his mate Chris in King's Cross at a a party that used to run called Starfuckers. It was heaps of fun. Tom first came on the podcast in 2019. We spoke about his battle with meningococcal septicemia how he learned who his real friends are, how he had to relearn how to do what he loved. Now, in more recent years, Tom has become quite the in-demand keynote speaker. He's regularly presenting ideas and philosophies just steeped in the lessons from life that he spent overcoming this adversity. His TEDx talk, Uh, The Perks of Being a Pirate has been seen by over two and a half million people. His experiences have given him a unique outlook on life and a, a real belief that while everyone has their own personal challenges and everything's relative, it's how you deal with them that matters. Tom's journey is a testament to the strength of the human spirit, really, the power of determination. I absolutely adore Tom Nash. His outlook on life is just stunning and one that I personally really take a lot from. We're really very lucky that a lot of the lessons which Tom has fought very hard to learn, he's generously sharing, not only in this podcast, but also in his new book. It's brilliant. Hook, line, and sinner. Hey, so good. Love a pun in the title. (laughs) Today, Tom and I are going to talk a lot. We're going to talk about healing, about how he transformed almost unspeakable adversity into an opportunity for growth. The man's an inspiration. He's also hilarious. 
and I just can't wait for you to hear this. Uh, before we get there, I do need to play some ads. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does, they charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Purpose in and of itself is a... Is a it's a cognitive program that you run in your head, yeah. right? And so you have the ability to imbue anything with a sense of purpose. Mm. And it's kind of why I hate people that say, not the people, but I hate it when people say everything happens for a reason. I don't like that. Because, well, I mean, apart from being nonsensical and just generally an, a non sequitur idea, I think it robs you of being able to imbue anything with a sense of meaning yourself, mm. which is almost the exact thing that's going to carry you over and give you a sense of purpose is to imbue meaning upon things that happen. And the distinction, you know, between that which you can control and that which you can't control is the difference between a life of stagnation and success, I guess. That is DJ, author, keynote speaker, and part-time pirate Tom Nash. This is Osher Ginsberg, Better Than Yesterday. And welcome. Thanks for being here. This is Better Than Yesterday, bringing you ideas to make it better every week since 2013. Mondays and Wednesdays, I'm with a guest. Fridays, I'm here with you. Uh, I'm Osha Gisberg. I'm a podcaster. I'm an author. I'm a TV host. I am, in fact, a Gold Logie-nominated cargo bicycle rider. Yeah, big day on the cargo bike today. Wolf, our youngest, he's four now, went all the way to daycare on the seat between my bike seat and his seat in the back, the one where mum sits because the bike can take three of us because it's a long tail cargo bike. And Wolfie sat on the seat because his feet are long enough to reach the running boards now because he's massive. Yeah, big day. So we'll be taking the, the little baby seat. Not little, it's massive baby seat, but he's too big for it now. So yeah, children grow. It's exciting. It's super fun. Um, but yeah, I like that bicycle. That's cool. If you're new, thanks for being here. Maybe a lot of new people have shown up because of the Rich Roll podcast, which um, came out last week. And uh, thanks heaps for those who are new. Welcome. 
Thanks for being here. Thanks for all the emails that you sent. It's lovely to get to know new people. Rich Roll is a great and dear friend of mine. And if you heard the episode he and I did here a couple of weeks back, it's very, very different to that one. And I'm very, I'm so grateful that Rich allowed me to come onto his show and speak about things that I otherwise don't really get a chance to talk about much and certainly not with someone whom I trust so much to make sure that the conversation stays away from the sensational and stays in something that can serve another. And, um, you know, Rich is really a very special man because of that and he's very special because he was there for a lot of it which is really cool um so yeah nice to get to know you send osher email at gmail.com got a great email from ash you know how sometimes you get an email in and you can see like four or five or six kind of indents because it's like this has been back and forth a few times quite the email chain i was like what what's this about and um she's written hope you're well i just came across this email trail cleaning up my inbox specifically this part oh that's right we were talking about an episode i did called we all have the same amount of hours in the day as beyonce and she wrote back pushing back a little going come on i've got a kid i've got a little kid and you know beyonce's got 500 million dollars she can pay someone to look after the kid and i wrote back going yeah you know what you're right i wish i had 500 million dollars but we also so have the same amount of day, hour in our day to connect with that kid and, you know, connect with our partner and be of service to the people around us, look after our health, make sure we sleep right, look at, you know, we all have the same amount of hours that she does. And there was a bit of back and forth about that. And, you know, we kind of got on the same page and she wrote, completely agree. This is, I'll just read this part from the previously indented conversation. I've worked hard on that uh, the connecting part, uh, last year. And when Victoria goes back to normal after COVID, this is how long ago it was, I'm hoping to quit my stressful, pointless job and work in disability support where I can really make a difference to someone's life and spend more quality time with my partner and our two-year-old, things that have meaning and connection. And then she wrote in the updated email, I just wanted to let you know, I have been working as a disability support worker since November and love it. Our daughter is five now. We have twin boys who are a bit over 18 months. I started studying again at 48 to be the best support worker I can be and spend as much time as I can with family, including bedtimes with the kids, which as you know, is the best. Uh, Life is a chaos and a struggle at times, but I feel like it has a lot more purpose now. Ash, you are the best best for writing. Thank you so much for keeping me in the loop. And I love that. I'm so inspired by that. That is so cool. You're the best. Thank you. Send Osher email at gmail.com. If you want, uh, I do love to see where you are when you're listening. Not just, I'm I'm fascinated with what people do when they listen to podcasts because I, I train, I do the laundry, I do dishes, I clean dog poo, I take, I, I drive. Don't take a photo if you're driving. What are you looking at right now? Take a photo on your phone, send it to me. Send off your email at gmail.com. Love to know what you're doing. Hey, Tom Nash is here, DJ Hookie. If you want the full version of Tom's story, we did a whole episode about four years back in 2019. It takes you through the whole thing. It takes you through how he got sick and how he ended up losing his arms and legs. And today, he is breathtaking. Breathtaking in his absolute commitment to acceptance and action. Two things that have delivered me from a very, very, very bad place that Tom is just astounding with how he does this. If someone who is a a quadruple amputee at the age of 19 can build a wonderful, full life and full career for himself, so full of positivity and, and possibility and joy and love, then shit. I could probably bring a, f- a thing or two about the way that Tom does things into my day. 
I'll tell you that for nothing. I'm, you, I'm going to say you're going to feel the same after listening to this. He's a fabulous man. Uh, the book is called Hook, Line and Sinner. It's cool. He has hooks for hands. You'll see it on the video version of this, which is out in a little while. Um, let me know what you think of it. Send us your email at gmail.com. Let Tom know, DJ Hooky on Instagram. Here's Tom. How are you, Tom? Really good. How are you? Mate, I'm all right. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me in this new brilliant studio that you have. Wow, it's a- I, I wasn't even across the fact that you now do this uh, as video. But you just get around through the day just looking this way anyway. Yeah, this is how exactly. you- Lucky, because yeah. I was going to turn up here looking homeless, being like, oh, this is Osher, a couple of microphones. Mate, no, we'll I'm- be fine. <laughs> I am a T-shirt away from my pajamas right now. Okay, fine. Like this, well, but this is how I go through my day. This is- I dress like this all the time. I know you do. That's fine. It's a good thing. Hang on. Mm. <laughs> It's the afternoon. I'm having a cup of tea. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. And I'm, I'm glad you came back, man. I had such a nice time speaking with you last yeah. time, but you've written a book since we last yes. spoke. Yes, yes, And there's a lot to discuss because mm. the, world is a, the world's a different place. And some of the things that we talked about last time, uh, which I would encourage people to go and visit because um, there's no need to cover too much of it again. Yeah. Um, and if not, I'll, I'll fill them all in in the intro. Yes. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, a lot of what we discussed, there was kind of the – the germinations of the way you look at the world that I'm kind of wondering where they are. Because I've always enjoyed the refreshing way that you look at the world. Mm. And it's a very matter-of-fact way. Yeah, like a no-nonsense, pragmatic way and in, with and, no room for... <laughs> yeah, and also a very, a very humanist way mm. of looking things. But people may misjudge the way you approach life because of the, mm. what they see when they see you. But I've always found it so extraordinarily refreshing to hear your take on on things, almost to the point where I'd be happy if we spent an hour not even talking about it. <laughs> we can talk about whatever you want. But also, Anything. I kind of like it when people misjudge me because then it gives me a reason to say something. Mm. Mm. Because the trope with anyone who's differently abled, look, for years they were the baddie in the Bond film. Mm. You know? Which I think I'd do a good job of. Fuck yeah, you would. Dr. No Hands. Yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Continue with your thought. No, look, look, uh, look, I'm just letting that dad joke kind of really hit. Now, bear in mind, I work on the Must Singer at the moment. And we stack it. We stack it hard with bad puns. Oh, yeah. Do you um, really? Dr. No Hands. Do you is, write them? Oh, yeah. By the way, I saw you're up for a gold Logie. A gold Logie. Congratulations. Thanks, man. This will air after that comes out. So- who, oh, who knows how I went? Okay, right. You know, but it's one of these things, Tom, that I have no control over mm. the outcome. It's a publicly voted thing. Yeah, I've got no control over it. Do, can I vote? Yeah. How do you do it? Just go on the website. We just go on the website. Yeah, what there's a thing in the show there's notes. A service you, news. You got to go like, through. You... Yes, yeah, you got to type in your license plate. Um, <laughs> but you just go to the TV website, website and, okay. and vote. But you got to vote for everyone before you get to the gold. Um, but it is one oh, of those. It's one of those things. That, yeah. Also, I, I'm not a big. Uh, TV watcher, particularly when it comes to sort of the it's, free to air stuff. It's, so. it's like, you know, I'm sure it's people fill that stuff out like I'm sure they fill out their, you know, their grade, voting, their their grade 10, you know, their grade 10 multiple choice um, tests. I like you were just say hit like, C for everything, I'll average. <laughs> the census or something. Yeah, there's 80 right. people living here who gives a yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's one of those things where. You know, it's a real clear line for me because when I first met you, it was a very different time in my life. And we spoke about this last time in that. I was just, boy, man, I was drinking, I was using, I was doing all kinds of things to keep 
the kind of sense of self-worth and the realisation of how little I accepted what was happening to me in that I was being quite successful at the time and how much I was trying to destroy that mm. and, and hide from it to the point where I would my teeth would grind and I would seethe with rage when I wouldn't see my name nominated for anything and I would see other people um, get, you know, shows mm. that I wanted to get on and, and then because I'd attach myself to the outcome and it was only after kind of getting dragged through the absolute shit um, that uh, I, I had to kind of understand that I can only control what I can control. Yeah, and also enjoying the process as well That's along all the way, is. right? So everything yeah. that leads up to that outcome, whatever it may be, like being able to appreciate yeah. that is half the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because otherwise, even if you do achieve the yeah. thing, you just move on to wanting the next thing and never yeah. actually have an instance where you feel happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you comfortable sitting back or sitting forward? Which one do you want? It's up to I, you. I, can I oscillate? You can. You can do okay, whatever you I'm want. Gonna, I'm going to oscillate. No, you should oscillate. For, for effect. Oh, I if I it. say anything poignant, I'll lean in. This is very important. So I'll spend and most as of you my time leave, back here. if you don't <laughs> fling the scarf over you, like, yeah. as you go, I'll be most disappointed. Okay. I, I will like, do that. Scarf's always Straight a good exit. Straight to camera. <laughs> yeah. Um, people are listening to uh, a vape being sucked, by the way. I thought those things Well, were... I was hoping that they were watching it as well. Well, Tell me something. Yeah. Are there more people that watch or listen? It depends on what, you know, depends. Okay. It all depends. At the moment, listening. At the moment, li more listeners. But who knows? Okay, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, like Well, many because it's a bit, okay, so for me in particular, whenever I do podcasts, um, nobody knows who I am because why should they? Uh, they should know that I have two hooks for hands. Yes. That's kind of the reason I get asked on podcasts in the beginning. I'm not frightfully interesting or anything, but it's uh, piffle. Through, you this, are, through this lens. I dispute uh, I'm not frightfully interesting because of the way that you look at the world is something that I get. I say, again, I said I really, I really relish and how you came, and we covered this a bit last time, is how you came to be in this space of observing the world, observing challenge and mm. observing things. I'm not going to say it was forced upon you, but you really had no choice. No, yeah, it matter. was absolutely forced upon me. Yeah, yeah. 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 And... and the pathway you came out of that could have so easily been resentment and could have so easily been, I, I deal with it a bit, you know, I deal with, you know, people who are, you know, online and they say stuff and then you kind of ask them well, what's going on and then it turns out, oh, this is going on in my life. I'm like, oh, mm. right, there's a lot of stuff out of your control that's happening to you and you're being angry at other people. Almost everything is out of your control. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But you're being angry, you're being angry that you can't change it. So yeah, that's right. Yeah. So. That anger, that anger could really consume you. Mm. And I'm wondering, um, what was this? I don't know. We didn't really cover this too much last time. Was there, At what point do they say, okay, Tom, here's all the antibiotics we can give you. Here's, you know, here's the OT. Here's this. And here's the therapist. Mm. At what point does that show up? Oh, the therapist thing. Yeah, that, uh, pretty early in the piece, actually. Yeah. I had a, a psychologist given to me when I was in Concord Hospital, so mm. I would have been about two months in. Yeah. To hospital, and I'd been through coma. I'd had both legs amputated and both arms amputated. And they sent me this guy. Uh, he was, I won't mention his name. He was very, very nice, but he was, uh, I guess, soporific. He, like he, the, the dulcet tones of his voice would actually put me to sleep. And so he was a psychiatrist or a psychologist. He's a really nice guy. I didn't find any of the method useful at all, but he did put me to sleep, which was kind of good because I couldn't really get much sleep at that at no. that time because I was in so much pain. Yeah. So just send in the psychologist and you'll be out like a light. <laughs> <laughs> did you seek out someone to kind of help you get your head around? No, they were often forced upon me. I don't tend to 
respond well to one-on-one treatment from psychologists, not in a negative way, just it, I, I don't really get much from it mm-hmm. personally. Um, I don't know why that is. I think I, I like to sound out ideas with the people in my own orbit that might be friends and family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it wouldn't be in a very obvious way, but just having people around who are not in your position and living their lives to the fullest, I guess, or just in, an, in a normal fashion is the best way that, for you to be able to reflect. And, and then you have time on your own to reflect on that. I think that's, that's my style of doing things. I haven't really found it mm. useful speaking to psychologists. But, you know, different horses, different courses. Did, was there a moment where, because resentment or righteousness are both extraordinarily seductive places, because if you hold on to one or the other, then you don't have to do any looking inwards. Mm. Um, did those two things show up? Resentment and what was the other one? Being righteous. Being righteous. Uh, I try to be righteous as much as I can. Be, <laughs> I guess I'm more, I'm more like, um, well, at least resentment as, as in yeah. Like, that, that's well, a, that's, yeah, a, that's I guess, an easy way, not an easy way out. That is a seductive way and an understandable way to handle what's happened to you. Yeah, that's right. I guess it would be. And it, for often a lot of people, I think it's a default, it, the the trope of kind of why me, um, until you realize why not me. It's going to happen to someone, isn't it? Like I'm no different from anyone else. I'm not special. You know, someone's going to lose their arms and legs this year. May as well be you. You can't take credit for how you respond to situations, I don't think, at least not entirely. There's got to be some component of of nature to it, I think, and then there's an element of luck. Uh, then there's an element of the support of the people around you, and I think if you are to be credited for in any way for how you respond to situations, it would be in a very minute way. Mm. But often we we tend to try to simplify it more than that and think, oh, this person has just done remarkably well and and better than somebody else could have. Uh, well, there's a multitude of factors for that, and I, I probably had no choice in the way that I dealt with things. So righteousness doesn't play into it by default. Yeah. Uh, and resentfulness, uh, I try to be as resentful as I can, just not about things like getting meningococcal, but things like uh, being on hold for too long, uh, two-ply tissues or anything below, waiting in a line or a queue. I'm highly resentful of all these things. <laughs> and that keeps me grounded. And those things, I think these things are fair. Yeah. You know, if you're going to choose what you're going to get <laughs> fucked off about. That's right. If I go to someone's house and they haven't got two plies, like, honestly, like I've lived in share houses where we couldn't rub, you know, two bits of resin together to, to pack a cone. Mm. But we always... <laughs> always bought the most expensive toilet paper we could afford. That's good. I like that philosophy. And the best quality tomato sauce. No, no, it's home brand shit. Tomato sauce, as in when you say tomato sauce, do you mean ketchup or do you mean Italian tomato sauce? No, no, no. Like No, no, no. Like like in a tube. Yeah. Yeah. Ketchup. Ketchup. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What's what's your definition of the best ketchup? Is it Heinz? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I'm a Heinz guy as well. Yeah. I think so. But I think that's the taste that some people in Brisbane, there was this wild brand called Big Red. And I've heard of Big Red. It was yeah. like the size of a bottle was the size of like something you'd now get at Costco and think that's small. Yeah, but at the like time, some it was like what post-war God on earth package is this thing? And so sauce. unrecyclable. And so unrecyclable. That was no, your problem with it? No, and it was and it was no, I was four. <laughs> but I remember this this bottle being so big I could barely lift it. And the mm. taste being like this, I don't know what this is. You say it's tomato sauce, but no, mm. no, no, no. 
can I go back home? I know this is a sleepover, but I'd like to go home now, please. So, so good catch up. Yeah. Good toilet paper. Start there. Yeah, I and think so. I've been your... in five-star hotels with two-ply tissues. Oh, what God. the fuck is going on? That's what they've got high-thread count linens for. Yeah, they've got high-thread <laughs> count linens, but two-ply tissues. Yeah, just get in get in there. They'll you know, it's gotten to the point where, uh, because I make a big deal about this wherever I go, mm. and one of the places that I go regularly is my prosthetist, people who make my hooks and everything like that. And, you know, on a bad week, I'm there like, on a bad month, I'm there about one, once a week or something like that. And they always had these two-ply tissues in every room. And so I, I made a bit, I kicked up a big stink about it. And then they started putting three-ply tissues in all the rooms. So I thought, okay, we're making some progress. Then as time went on, they would only put them in the room that I was supposed to be in. And so often I would find myself going to other rooms and I'd be like, hang on a second. So uh, APC Prosthetics, if you're listening... <laughs> Make with a three-ply. <laughs> I'm going to cut that up put on TikTok as well. Just make sure they listen. <laughs> when it comes to something like a prosthetic, uh, and I know this, I mean, I, the only thing I can rally is with, with my hearing aids, is mm. that you get a phone call going, hey, man, we've got this new thing in. Yeah. Does this. And, oh, yeah. Do they do that for the hearing aids, but yeah, they've got yeah. to yell it? Or- oh, no, no. There's like... <laughs> I've been wearing hair aids about seven, eight years now, and the versions now are astounding compared Cochlear? to- Cochlear? No, 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 I don't have a- No, no, no. Just have you, have you ever considered that? I don't need it. Right. No, I just literally have nothing above 3K. Mm, maybe mm. in that ear, maybe a little bit above that. In the yeah, right, right ear. okay. But yeah, so I know you're saying the letter S because the words in context make sense. Right, okay, yeah. Trying to understand something like Mandarin, yeah, which has lots of sure sounds in it. I you, you've got a natural de on oh, the dude. side of your head. That's a way to look at it. It's <laughs> a way to look at it. Um, I should really wear them more often, but I mm. but I don't. But I'm wondering, do the does the does your prosthetist call you up and say, "Dude, there's this thing"? No, coming. They know me better not to say that <laughs> yeah. because I'm I'm quite a traditionalist with my prosthetics. I've had these hooks for you know 20 years now, and they were designed 120 years ago uh, for people who lost their arms in the trenches. That's why they've got those little holes for cigarettes. Yes. Um, but if there's any edits to be made to my uh, prosthetics, I will usually discuss it with them, things that I would want. For instance, I had a, an Apple Watch built into this one, and I've got a bottle opener here. You can That's see that. That's so sick. Which is great. It's actually a better party trick than it is practically useful to me. I don't drink beer. Uh, often I'll have a gin and tonic, so I have like those fever tree bottles I can open. Mm. But more often than not, I'll just be out somewhere and someone's like, bottle opener, and I can just go, psh. It's great. It was really good. I, I had a belt buckle that had a bottle opener in it. Man, yeah. you just like, I think Mick Fanning released a thong that had a bottle opener in the bottom of it a long time ago. Really? Yeah, there was a flip flop. How'd that happen? How'd that work? No. It had a hole in the. There was an in- actual bottle opener in the sole of the shoe. Oh. Yeah. Wow. That that brings shoey to another level, doesn't it? But, <laughs> of course, you couldn't. You couldn't then you couldn't open the beer and then do a shoe because you have to wear a shoe oh, and yeah, the thong with a bottle. Let's not talk open. about shoeies. Oh my god, that stuff is that is wrong. But look, I'm get, like, is it like I've got uh, I've got an iPad in that drawer that mm. no longer works mm. because they're like we're just going to not update that anymore and it's not fast enough to do anything. Like, is yeah. there a point where the people that know how to make these things are going to be like, dude, I'm retiring and I'm literally the last person in Australia who can fix that for you? That's an interesting point. No, there are plenty of prosthetists who can fix these and make them. Uh, but an interesting point about the technology, you know, at what point do they stop making hooks in favour of 
you know, new electric hands. Mm. I actually don't think that's a problem. They're kind of mass produced by this company in America who charge ridiculous amounts of money for them and they're basically just a mold. But a lot of people actually use these, the the hooks, because they're far more functional than the hands mm. and uh, I think they're more functional than the electronic hands as well. And, you know, who wants to be carrying around something that requires charging? Like we, we have so many things in our lives, you know, the phone, the watch, the AirPods, the fucking, like, I don't want to have to plug my arms in every eight hours or when I'm traveling or something like that. No, get rid of it. Nobody wants that. No one wants it. Yeah. I'll tell you what I would do. If they could make arms, uh, if they could grow arms through stem cells, something like that. And I spoke to my friend Meow about this, who was contending that if you could create the bone out of, so rather than growing bone, but you would make the bone out of titanium, which mm. is stronger than bone. Mm. I don't know how they would do that, but then you would grow I've tissue got a over made it. Of it, so don't worry, it's fine. Well, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Right, so you'd have to sort of craft it in a way, and then grow the hand, or the, the ligaments and the flesh on top of that, such that they could surgically attach them to you. But they're part of your own physiology, so you wouldn't have to take anti-rejection drugs. Yeah, I'd give that a go. I think I dare say that that'll. This is the obviously the dream mm. of. Uh, you know, I had a. A joke when I first got my hip replacement it was like, he said, oh, they last about 20 years. I'm like, well, I guess by then you'll be 3D printing it out of my own stem cells. He goes, yeah, that's what we're working towards. I'm like, I bet you are. I bet they are, right? Yeah. But I remember back when I lost my arms, they're like, oh, we'll be able to do arm transplants in 10 years. And I'm like, will you though? Will you? Or even if you can, how commonplace will it be? Shoot for the moon, Tom. Such that I get yeah, to shoot right. for the moon, buddy. I, I think I'm just going to, I think I'll have these until the day I die. Yeah. Um, and that's the attitude that I'm taking. And if some technology comes along in 20 years, but then again, I've got to think to myself as well, like this, be- this has become a part of me. Yeah, yeah. You know, how weird would it feel to have hands again? There was a, uh, a moment, like a milestone that happened for me a couple of years ago where I realized that I'd been disabled longer than I wasn't, which was a strange realization. Was it, you know, I think well, I would have been 38 or something like that. Because I, I got sick when I was 19. Yeah. So I turned 38 and I thought, oh, interesting. And, you know, you regard time differently when you're younger. It obviously seems like it goes for a longer time mm. because as a percentage of your life, uh, it's larger. But it was interesting to note that I actually felt like I was, I felt like I had more memories as a disabled person than I did without, you know, as a able-bodied person. Yeah. Yeah. It was weird. So now, a couple of years in, I've, I've been disabled way longer than I was able-bodied, which feels good. It, feel, it feels good to be here um, mate, until finally arrived. It always feels good. It always <laughs> feels good to be in your presence. I've got to tell you, man. And this is because the largest thing that's happened since we saw each other last, besides, you know, well, for me, we had a we had a son here at our place, but yeah. no one of us could leave the house. Mm. And a lot of people lost their fucking minds. And yeah channeled a lot of frustration into resentment and into anger at others and into, mm. you know, a lot of really dangerous places that I am, you know, I'm concerned some parts of our society are going to have a really hard time getting back from. What was it like for you to be observing people lose their shit over an unpredictability or a, a sense of helplessness, something that you had clearly figured out how to deal with? Mm. Uh I found it really interesting uh, because obviously people had so many different reactions. And so, you know, not to say that everybody 
found it terrible. Some people really enjoyed it even. Mm. And uh, But the one thing that I did notice was that it was it was the first time society all had the same problem. Mm-hmm. And also that uh, it was the first time that industries at large had been forced to make changes mm. and been forced to think differently. And I think the link that I always found with myself was I was once the one that was forced to think differently to solve problems. And often people aren't given that gift, which I do think is a gift. Experiencing some sort of negative vicissitude or, or whether it be a tragedy or adversity or a challenge that you're forced to think of a different way around a problem or several problems. And mostly people aren't put in that position. So it's very interesting to watch how different industries coped, the whole working from home thing and how people got used to that. Some people really liked it more than others. Some people hated it. It really divided people along the lines of uh, introverts and extroverts, Mm -hmm. I found. And then there were some businesses that completely rethought the way that they did work, which was like, okay, well, we have all this real estate that's an outgoing expense that we don't really need. We can have people work working distributed, but there's also an element where we don't we do want people to come together because that's how we share ideas, that's how we socialize. And if people are sitting at home and they don't leave their house for a week, they can start to get depressed. And a Zoom conference is not a good substitute for that. It no. just isn't, right? And actually weirdly, I had to do because I work as a speaker now and I pre- previously was doing a lot of events and then I had to do Digital event, you know, I online. did a few of them. You did a few, yeah, did of those, a few online right? conferences, yeah. Um, and it was it was kind of awful because you don't get that immediate response that you do no. when you're speaking to groups of people. You can't even if you make jokes or you make people laugh. All you do is you see these tiny little faces on a screen, just like, yeah. And I'm just like, I I, I can't do this. It's yeah. not. If it's a rhetorical exercise, but I need to have some sort of feedback. Yeah. And a strange feeling of just still being in your house once it was all done. Yeah. You know, like you finish this huge conference, could be like hundreds of people, blah, blah, blah. And then you just switch it off and go and feed the dog. Like it's a it's a strange thing we were doing there for a while. Um, but it had some positives to it, which is that I, I got to do a lot of work for American uh, companies mm-hmm. that I wouldn't have been able to do Yeah, because- they have to fly me and another person out to the States and then they have to put us up in accommodation and their budget doesn't stretch that far. But they've got a, a budget that if they give it to you, you can jump on a Zoom call. Fantastic. Yeah. And so a lot of companies had access to people and things uh, that they, I, w- I don't want to say they didn't have it before, but it was normalized, mm. right? So everybody could have worked distributed before the pandemic. The technology had been there for years, Yeah. right? But nobody wants to be the first company to do it, do they? Mm. Because the the first person to make a big change pays a disproportionately high price if that doesn't eventuate or it doesn't work. So if you're the person in a company that makes the decision to get everyone distributed work and it fucks up in your face, you get fired. And so no one, no one makes that decision. With the pandemic, it forced everyone to make decisions like that and mm. change the way that they thought. And I think now we're in a position where, you know, in the wake of all of that, we can choose the things that still work and we can do away with the stuff that doesn't. It was very tough on a lot of industries. Um, some absolutely thrived. If you're in the mask game, you're doing great. If in you, the mask If you were oh. making rat tests, you're yeah. killing it. All right? If you were in hospo, yeah. if you're a musician. Yeah, it was a nightmare, right? And, and about it. Us running Starfuckers as well, that was completely... You know what? We ran... 
our last Starfuckers, we did a Mardi Gras, our Party Gras party. I think five days before lockdown came in in March 2020, we just, just got in there. But it was like the next weekend, nobody could go anywhere. Yeah. We just slid in there. And so I always knew you as a DJ. I always knew you as a party promoter, right? Mm. The speaking and the writing stuff is uh, fairly recent for you. That's a huge part of your identity that's just... I wouldn't say it's part of my identity. It's part of my work. Well, <laughs> you, I, I, I disagree. So you are, yeah. you are one of the lucky few. I'm one of the lucky few who has a job that is in alignment with kind of who they are or how they move through the world or definitely in alignment with their values. Like mm. this job, this is a job now, the podcast thing. I love it. Mm. It's a job, but it is part of my identity. It's like, I don't know, this is what I this is what I do and I love to do it. Yes. And I love to be there for people and I love to make this thing for people. But which came first? Does the podcast create your identity or do you lean into the podcast, the podcast because it creation, is part of your identity? As of debt, and I'm going to say this to you, I'd say you created the party out of a reflection of like, I want to make a party I want to go to. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And that's- the- Whether I was successful at doing that is up for debate, but yeah. <laughs> you, you ran a party longer than most other people. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, the podcast was a reflection of, mm. it's always been a reflection of like, I want to make a podcast, always been, I want to make a podcast I want to listen to. But then does it become what people know you by and therefore inform your sense of identity by dint of its success. More than anything else, this show that you're on right now mm. does. People often, if they've just heard the podcast for the first time, like, I really didn't expect that. It's like, no, because if you only know me screaming at a giant toothbrush, take it off, why would you think anything else? That's fine. Mm. Or if you only know me whispering, canning some flowers, yeah, that's fine. But that's not who I am. Because mm. that's not the job. That's the job. Mm. Those two things, I love them. I love yeah. doing them. But they're jobs. This is the thing, though. So I have a similar experience in that everything that I've ever done has always been viewed through the lens of, oh, the guy with hooks did that thing, right? So if you assessed me as a DJ, you would say, yeah, okay, DJ, nothing special. But DJ with two hooks, oh, okay, all of a sudden we're listening, right? And I get that. But to a point, it, it becomes difficult to be regarded as improving, let's say. So I had a very asymptotic relationship with uh, getting better as a DJ. When I started out, I was shit. I uh, couldn't DJ at all. And then, uh, But people still enjoyed watching me play. And then as I got better and better, I began to experience diminishing returns because the lion's share of what they liked about me DJing was the fact I was DJing with two hooks. And so, and that's what I mean by it being sort of this non-linear benefit uh, graph, I guess you'd call it. And uh, the first time I, I'd, I'd told Chris about this, you know, many times, and he, he kind of got what I meant, but I, I guess not fully. He's quite close to me, so he he knows, you know, when I get better at something, he'll he'll recognize it, and he largely sees past my disability. We were touring Japan once, and I was with my partner at the time, uh, Sydney, who was a uh, quite tall uh, for a girl and uh, blonde hair, blue eyes. She's a fashion model. And Chris is very tall and he's very striking. And I look like I do. And so when we're walking through Japan, we got a lot of looks. It's very homogenous right? society. Yeah. We're, yeah. we're just like, well, everyone was. And we, we went to play this uh, club in Tokyo called Club Asia. And I remember. In us... Tokyo? It's, yeah. <laughs> and we went into the into the club and there's a queue of people on the other side 
I'm like, aren't you meant to uh, queue up outside the club? No, these people were queued inside the club to get photos with us, right? Just because we looked so different. Yeah. And the whole set that we played, there was like 30 people. We just sit there and they come and get a selfie and they move on and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, yeah, the whole set that we played, there were maybe about 200 people in the club and they're sort of dancing, but they're all facing the same way and they're just taking photos of us. Because with this, you know, like yeah. Chris is like six foot four and I've got these hooks or like these freaks of nature or whatever it is. Yeah, right. And uh, I remember him saying to me afterwards, he's like, oh, he's like, I get it now. When there's that visual aspect to what you do and and they're not, like they're listening to the music, but that's not the most important thing yeah. to them. Is like, I, I get how you feel sometimes with that. Right. Yeah. And so that w- when you link something like that with your identity, just like you were saying with the giant toothbrush thing, mm. How do you get people past that? Or do you even, is it even your responsibility to get them past that? Oh, to answer your question, I would say it's not my job. I just, as I mentioned earlier in our conversation, I used to live and die by the overnight numbers. And uh, as I'm sure you would live and die, like by how many people bought a ticket to your show, right? To your party. And then realize that I can't control any of that. I don't work at promos, I don't market, I, I can't control if something is on another channel. I can't control if the greatest football game ever played is going on air at the same time as we are. I can't control any of that. All I can control is how good a job I do. Mm. And if that job is to stand there in an amazing suit and shout at an anthropomorphic, you know, toilet washer, um, <laughs> take it off, Yeah, I'll do that the best I possibly can. And mm. it's preposterous and I love it because it means nothing. Of all the jobs I do, it means absolutely nothing because mm. no one's emotions get. They're already famous people. They don't care. Mm. It's means it's brilliant. Yeah, I adore it uh, because it's- so your your position is now currently to take a back seat with respect to people's expectations of you. Is that right? Not when it comes to delivering the job. Like mm. I am hired because I'm the best option they have. Anyone mm. you know has that. You know they, they were the best opportunity they're hired at the time, mm. and I work really hard to stay as good as I possibly can at doing what I do. Yeah, whether that be the whispery thing or the shouty thing or this. Again, because of what you mentioned earlier, I, I, I want one. I want to have some ascension mm. in in my career. You know, people start. You know, they start in the mailroom. For example, the trope is you start in the mailroom and you work your way up. Mm. All right, I was on air at twenty five. Mm. You, 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 you work your way up to the mailroom, like <laughs> no. Well, where do you go from there? <laughs> you, plenty of people work their way down. Um, <laughs> exactly. But where do you go? Where do you go from there? Like, I, I just want to try to be. I just want That's to, a really good question. Where do you go from yeah, there? Yeah, where do you go from there? Well, yeah, I figured yeah. I figured out where to go. The first yeah. I figured out where to go is that just try to just be as good as I possibly can be mm. at the one thing that I do better than other people. Yeah. And that's it. Give yeah. everything else up. Because there's so much space between where I'm good enough at what it is that gigantic networks with million dollar budgets, huge multi-million dollar budgets go, mm. that's the guy. Mm. We'll hire him over anybody else. And that's what they hire, but I know the gap between what they see and what I'd like to be. Yeah. Well, that's, I guess, what I'm getting at. Like, how, to what extent does that drive you to do more of this kind of stuff, which is like your- Oh, significantly yeah, so. Right. Significantly so. But this is also, I, I, you know, I truly believe, you know, and I'm sure this is how, you know, the book came to you in that I started this podcast because the kind of conversations that I needed to hear to help me get out of a shitty spot, I wasn't hearing. All right? mm. I was hearing them in particular places um, in- fellowship meetings and, and such, but I wasn't hearing them in the public space. Mm. And you can't be what you can't see. And my only job 
You can't be what you can't see? No. What do you mean by that? Can you explain that to me? If someone had been through the same thing that you had mm. and you had not forged your path, there's no one to point at on the poster on the wall and say, look at him. He did it. So, for example, when I first... Do you, do you mean to say that, that everybody follows a kind of archetype or a blueprint that not is laid by someone else? Not like, or? oh, it can be done. Right, okay. It can be done, you know. If you never, if, if you don't realise that, um, for example, with... You know, with with G, if like if she if she never saw a woman in a position of power, she'd be like, well, I guess I'll never be in a position of power. You know, for mm. years, um, you know, uh, the queer community was like, I'll never be accepted. I'll never be able to marry someone. I'll never be able to have children. And then some sort of wild kind of way of looking at the world. And, and plus, there's a in, if we go back long enough, there's a disease that no one cares about that's killing all of my friends. There's mm. no life for me. Mm. And I, if you can't see that, you can hold on, man, there's a thing called prep that's going to change everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, why would you even try? Why would you, you know, it's, it's really hard. You know, I've, mm. I've, spoken to, I've spoken to men who lived through that time and yeah. they speak about that. So I, I think it's really important to, particularly when it comes to feeling better or getting better or um, getting your way out of a, of, a, of a tricky situation around health at least, mm. particularly mental health, hearing stories of how someone who is kind of where you were or, and is now somewhere where you want to be is vitally important. Because mm. otherwise, I needed to hear stories of people who got sober. I needed to hear stories of people who were insane mm. and who were now not insane because I was fucking crazy. And I needed yeah. to hear stories of people who had gotten better. Like, because it was a fairy story. It was a, like imaginary. It was literally the South Park episode. Stage one, you know, steal other pants. Stage two, stage three, profit. Like it was just this gigantic in the middle. Yeah. Like insane, something mm. better. I couldn't put it together mm. and so these kind of conversations are very important i feel mm. and, and so what i you know, i've been thinking about this quite a bit lately like the only job that i have is to make people feel less alone whether that is on telly doing you know big shiny floor tv shows or you know romantic reality tv shows or um this news show that i've been working on which is really fun or this podcast my only job mm. is to give people the idea that i got you i mm. see you there yeah, I, I have often strived, I think, to find something relatable in my story that could could be relatable to anyone. So, so not necessarily. I mean, I would be hard pressed to find many people that have gone through specifically what I have, mm -hmm. uh, which would give me, you know, quite a narrow audience, if I was being honest. Um, but I think, and the the kernel that began wanting to write this book, because I'd always wanted to write a book, but I was always too young. I hadn't had enough experiences, mm. and uh, it took us for getting a drug line in the, uh, in literally in the opening in the title. <laughs> yeah, it was a good yeah. job. Um, yeah, I, I needed to have that life experience, but I also needed to do something of note. It couldn't just be, you know, got through having a disability and hey, I'm still here. I think I think that would be largely boring. Yeah, um, not completely useless to some people, I guess, but I, I wanted to be to it to be more than that. I knew instinctually, so. Um, even though I think, you know, the age of 40 is probably early to be writing a memoir. I was 44 um, when I wrote mine. Yeah, right. It's a halftime report. That's what I, yeah, <laughs> I, I like to call mine a semiography. So, <laughs> yeah. Good. But I think there's enough in there now and there's enough for me to reflect on that I think I can I can conjure up some salient lessons of things that I've learned that can be applied to people yeah. regardless of who you are. Yeah. You know, you don't have to have gone through some tragedy. You don't have to be disabled at all. Uh, to take something away from that. And I think since about 2019, I've been working pretty hard to package those into speaking gigs that I do and then also into literature. I guess something that's transferable.
And this is the thing, you know, people uh, at this point, I'm not going to say you're learning to DJ, you know, similarly, but. No, you're always learning to DJ. You're always always learning to DJ. Um, God, I listened back to the other one that we did. That's half the problem, by the way. Everyone's (laughs) learning how to DJ. I I listened back to the other one we did and it contains about the the eight best minutes ever on um, on, on DJ culture and DJ Wayne. Oh, really? Yeah, you just give it. Oh, it's I don't brilliant. remember what I said. No, you basically say, like, no one cares. Yeah, oh, no, no one cares. Yeah, Are people definitely. dancing? Yeah. Then fine. Was that, if- was that pre-pandemic yeah, that yeah. we did that? Yeah, it was Young Spank. Okay, can I add something to that? Please. Okay. When the pandemic happened and everyone decided, well, not everyone, but many DJs decided they were going to live stream their DJ sets, worst idea I've ever heard. Because? Well, because, uh, well, firstly, who cares, right? But secondly... You, you've taken everything about a nightclub that, you know, is is enjoyed through the context of being in a nightclub, whether it's, you know, having drinks or being out or being with friends or the socialization or the decorations or the place and the music, and you've actually removed all of it except for the music. And so all you get at the end of it is just this person dancing in front of some vaguely complicated equipment and you channel that through a pair of laptop speakers. Of course that's going to be a shit experience. And I really, some of the biggest DJs in the world were doing these live streams. And I look on Twitter and there's like eight people watching. They're probably not even paying attention. It was a nightmare. And all it did was at the end of the day, I think, is it it, it actually highlighted how useless DJs was in, were in clubs anyway. So any any reputational capital that we had before the pandemic has now been completely set alight. And hopefully people will forget that when nightclubs open up again. Uh, oh, they are. They're open again. No, I know they are. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll show you some footage, actually. G was at a club in Paris the other night. Mm. And, like, fuck me. Because she, she turned 18 when the pandemic hit, you know? Right. And I, and I really felt for her because um, Megan Thee Stallion's um, Wet Ass Pussy came out, which would be the best song ever to dance to mm. on a dance floor. And there were no dance by floors. the time they got back out into the clubs, the song had gone. Yeah. You know? and, and it was So like, when did she turn 18? Was it the beginning of the, the uh, lockdown? Or? No, no. She was, she turned 18, maybe, we still have out in like another, well, how shall I put this? Lockdown showed up and, I don't know, I'll throw her under the bus, man. It's, you know, there was parties going on mm. and she never had a chance to dance to that. Yeah, you know? yeah. And it's such a seminal part of what you essentially, I think, we all chase that mm. again. Like when we go out, we're all chasing that feeling of what it was like. I mm. never forget the first time I ever saw a DJ actually, actually DJ DJ was Norman Cook. I was like, mm. oh, that's what it is. Yeah. Right. I, oh, <laughs> my God. I thought it was like just terrible doof. I can't tell the difference between one and the next. Yeah. Um, but this is good. Mm. I like this. I like this. And it changed yeah. everything. But- I, I found that it was people, you know, the people that were born, oh, sorry, born, I shouldn't say born, but um, that were turned 18 yeah. around the time that the lockouts came in. Oh, man. So so I'd, I think that was 2014 or something. Yeah, was it, yeah. right? So I would regard these this generation of people is the least fortunate when it came to their opportunities of going out because you had the, the cross was dying a slow death. Everybody had to be out by one thirty or, or whatever it was, right? You had two years of that. Then you have the city becoming, you know, prohibitively expensive for anybody who wants to live within five kilometres of it. So yeah, if you're yeah. a student or something like that, you're living in West Pennant Hills with your parents living in a garage yeah. and then taking a bus, of all things, right, out to a nightclub. And then you get hit with a pandemic. Yeah. No fun. Just forget it. Yeah. Just forget it. Just yeah. take up the piano or something. 
just a moment away from Tom Nash to say that this podcast is an independent podcast. What does that mean? It means we are not part of a big radio-run podcast platform. We are not part of a big newspaper-run or television station-run podcast platform. We are not owned by a parent company who can use a bigger website to repurpose our content. We don't have outdoor advertising. We do not pay to be on podcast charts that only people who pay to be on those podcast charts get to be on. There are plenty of other podcasts that aren't on those charts, <laughs> uh, but we can't afford to pay to be on them. You know what I'm going to say about that? It's not a great, it's exactly the number one. It's not really number one. Um, you know what I'm saying? Look, we don't have a subscriber option at this point, uh, but if you would like to help us, there is a brilliant, free, no cost at all way you can help us. It's a piece of cake. The easiest, best possible way you can help us out here and say thank you for this show is to share it. Share it with a friend. Hit the arrow, hit the burger, hit the three dots, whatever is in the corner of your podcast app. Tag a mate in the Instagram reel of this episode. That's the way to do it. I'll, tell, I'll do your deal. Uh, we'll keep making this show three times a week and once a month. Once a month, share this episode. Tell someone. If you haven't shared it in a while, I don't know, pop it in a post about something you're writing about. Going, oh, I heard a podcast about exactly this the other day. Here it is. Pop the link in there. Helping other people find out about this show is the best thing you can possibly do for us because it really, really helps. Because, um, yes, we have people who do subscribe, and that's really wonderful. If you do subscribe, thank you. But people come and go all the time. So it really, really helps us. So thank you so much. This is how we have grown and how we've built it to be what it is and you know is how we continue to grow from here send us your email at gmail.com is my email address if you need me we're back in a moment with more from tom nash hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you that's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The, I guess, you know, what you were saying before about channeling things into literature and channeling things into speaking, um, in, in, in a way, like, the authority that the way you present visually gives whatever you have to say about resilience or dealing with an adverse moment or trying to cool your shit when you're angry about stuff you can't control that instantly carries more weight and I dare say would break through a lot of preconceived biases. So that's just, in many ways, it's quite yes, a superpower I, you have. No, but I hate it as well, right? Because I don't right. want, I don't want people to take what I'm saying based on the fact that I've gone through, you know, such a horrible dis, you know, yeah. tragedy and a disability mm. and stuff like that. I, I want the words to stand on their own. I want the content to actually yeah. ring true. And so it's that thing again, right? Yeah. It's the DJing with hooks thing. I, I try pretty hard to piece together and, I guess, 
aggregate information that I think is not only accurate but relevant for people. Yeah. You know, and, and a lot of it is steeped in lessons that I've learned myself. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that should be the reason that they take what I say on authority. I don't think that's a very good way of reasoning. That's fine. Mm. You don't have to think that. <laughs> You're good. You're going to do it for me? But it might be just yeah. the one chance that that person has of getting an idea into their brain without immediately writing it off. Sure. Because there's like a second before the gate closes. Yes. And they but go, you, oh, no, fuck it. Yeah, yeah, sure. But then you you have to be willing to accept a lot of bad ideas by people who have similar types of authority visually or or That's some true. reason. Um, you remind me a lot of Dan Ariely. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. That's very nice. The Is it because of the scars? Or the- well, no, no, no. In the, no, not at all. In the way that he is not his experience. Mm. You know, interestingly, I went to see him speak uh, here in Sydney many years ago. He, he spoke at the, the Masonic Centre. Did you know that existed? I had no idea. This You're never going to get in, man. How are you going to do the handshakes? Yeah, exactly. Fucking hell. <laughs> They're like, sorry, we can't take, we can't sorry, tell you why. Like, there's an apron involved. <laughs> Handshake. How do we do yeah. <laughs> And uh, the way the way I actually found out who Dan Ariely was many, maybe 10 years ago or so, yeah, yeah. was a TED talk that he gave where he talked about, uh, so he was burnt as a child. I think he was. Oh, uh, no, it was an accident. He was in the army and there was an accident with a munition. Right, but it was a, a terrible. It was, terrible it was a burn, wasn't it? Yeah, it was it? horrible. Yeah, horrible yeah. Burn. yeah, yeah. Half his face, half his body. That's right. Yeah. yeah, and so the nurses at the time treated his skin in the same way that mine was, because mm. the way they treat meningococcal is like a burn. Yeah. And I had a very similar experience to him, where he said, uh, "Please rip the bandages off slowly." And the common wisdom was, "No, no, no. We we rip it off quickly, so there's this spike in bad experience, and then it's over." And he instinctually was like, mm, I, being the subject of this, he's like, I know that this is wrong. I want it to happen slower. And so he ended up, when he became a behavioral scientist, he he went and did a bunch of tests yeah. on that, yeah. working out uh, what was actually better. And, and he did it with, um, so he gave a bunch of colonoscopies to a bunch of people. And then I think what happened was with the, he, he had a control group and then he had another group where he would leave it in a little bit too long, uh, but he would pull it out. Uh, a little bit further, so it was more comfortable towards the end. And really, it turns out, if anyone's listening to this, yeah, like yeah. having you do, like visually do this is really <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> it, I would we'll get, we'll get one of the dogs in to demonstrate. If <laughs> <laughs> you got a thermometer, and what he he worked out was that people care far more about the ending of something than they do of the overall experience. So if the ending wasn't too uncomfortable, they regard the whole experience, whether it was longer or shorter, yeah. as a better experience overall. And I think his findings were that, yeah, if you are ripping Band-Aids off, actually doing it uh, uh, really slowly uh, is is better. I wish I had that information when I was in hospital to present yeah, yeah. to them. It's like, watch this TED Talk. Yeah. Please don't rip bandages off me like that. It's a great, it's a great, it's a really great yeah. point. You remind me of him in that you don't, you aren't, you draw from your experience, but mm. you aren't defined by your experience. And yeah. he, he walks with it every day. Yeah. You know, you, you go through the rest of his life looking like, you know, he had a bad time with a phosphorus munition, yeah, which yeah. he did. Um, but that's not, that's not who he is. So what would you say, you know, if I think about the time when I was most vulnerable to going down that kind of thinking, the kind of resentment, the kind of, uh, fuck, you don't know what it's like thinking. Mm. Um, it would have been, I was probably like anywhere between the age of 15 and 19. Right. All right. This is a dangerous time in any young man's life. It is. Yeah. What would you say to young or parents of young men or any young men? Listen, I ask specifically about young men, not young women. What would you say to them about, you know, those tempting feelings of, 
you know, the safety of resentment or the safety of being angry at the world. I would probably say that you're only doing yourself a disservice, um, which is, uh, even though it feels like something that is a priori, something that you, a knee-jerk reaction to anything, you know, it, it harks back to that idea of, you know, nobody cares about your life as much as you do. So all of those feelings of resentment that you might hold, uh, while you think they're having an effect or a second-order effect, at least in the world, they absolutely are not. And if anything, they have a negative effect. And so you, you need to work out ways that are actually going to benefit you. And sometimes benefiting you is benefiting people around you because, you know, social connections are the most important things in our lives when it comes to our subjective well-being. And so being somebody that other people can depend on, having a sense of responsibility, someone that other people can lean on can often make you a more robust person, I guess, in general. And it also gives you a sense of purpose. And I I think people without the sense of purpose can spiral into depressive states, although I'm not a psychologist, but that's what I read. A sense of purpose is something that we all had Mm. before, you know, the the convenience of modern farming and modern medicine. Mm. And that purpose was get enough food and water. Mm. That we all had something to do. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that yeah. was really it. Yeah. And we haven't, we basically, you know, developed agriculture and our bodies and our mm. brains are nearly exactly the same as they were sure. 100,000 so many but, years ago. But purpose in and of itself is, is, a, is a cognitive program that you run in your head, yeah. right? And so you have the ability to imbue anything with a sense of purpose. Mm. And it's kind of why I hate people that say, not the people, but I hate it when people say everything happens for a reason. I don't like that. Because- Well, I mean, apart from being nonsensical and just generally a non-sequitur idea, I think it robs you of being able to imbue anything with a sense of meaning yourself, Mm. which is almost the exact thing that's going to carry you over and give you a sense of purpose is to imbue meaning upon things that happen. And the distinction, as you point out, you know, between that which you can control and that which you can't control is the difference between a life of stagnation and success, I guess. The uh, everything happens for a reason. There's, in my mind, there's a there's a bracket that says that you give it after the fact, close bracket. Mm. Mm. And that's the reason that you then reverse engineer to justify essentially the feeling in your body when the thing happened. Yeah, that's true. And it's important to, to make the distinction that we're talking, we're speaking philosophically here, not as though uh, everything happens for a reason. If I knock a glass off the table, yeah, it happened because I did it. Yeah. So, you know, there are real world reasons that things happen, but in yeah. terms of the philosophically underpinning reason that things but occur. The, le- the leap to understanding what you just described, the mm. leap to understanding that you're the one that puts the meaning on it, mm. that requires a level of reflection that might be uncomfortable because you might have to face the fact that, oh, I'm the one that's making this shit. Yeah, yeah. You, and that's The hard. realization that you're the one that shapes your own reality. Yeah, that can be very hard for some people and it's, oh, yeah, no shit. it's easier yeah. to, you know, kind it of- It should be hard, but nothing good was ever easy. But what would you say to people about about that concept, the idea of, you know, oh, you, you actually, this, this thing is really annoying you. Mm. And it's uncomfortable to realize this, but you're the you actually are deciding that this is annoying right now. Mm. You can decide for it just as easily to be not annoying. You can reframe it. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, which is an important skill to develop you know, because it's not and, and reframing isn't uh, it isn't an exercise in lying to yourself about the realities of things that have happened. Yes, 
Like you get hit by a bus and you're like, great, now I know. <laughs> Come in, you know, horrible shit happens all the time. Mm. Uh, and it doesn't mean that if something is, you know, seven bad that you're going to find something seven good about it. You might only get something three good out of that. But it there's a snowball effect that that has. And, and the idea of getting good at reframing things is a skill and that skill creates momentum. And the momentum means that you get exponentially better at doing that thing. And so it becomes like a superpower, I guess, in the future where, you know, 10 years down the track, you might find that you're only getting better in little increments as you go along yeah. uh, and you lose sight of the bigger picture. You ought to lose sight of the bigger picture, right? Because I think the bigger picture is sometimes yeah. ambiguous and and can lead you down the wrong path. I, I mean, I like to live in a way that I don't know what's really happening a year from now. I kind of like that. I take uh, every situation in front of me because opportunities can come up and they lead you down a completely different path, a path that you didn't know existed. Mm-hmm. And that could be way better than what you thought you were going to do when you were setting goals, right? <laughs> Which I think is a bullshit way to live your life. There's a guy called Tim Ferriss. You know who Tim Ferriss oh, is? I know. Tim Ferriss, you stumbled yes. upon him before? Well, he developed a thing called fear setting which I use in, in my life all the time, which I think is way better than goal setting, which is that you you line up on a piece of paper in a, a grid all of the things that you fear from different outcomes, and then you actually just workshop what you would do in the best and worst case scenario. And the first time I heard about this, I was like, oh, it's kind of a bullshit, you know, pop psychology thing. I started doing it. It was phenomenal, actually, because all it did was put your mind to rest at what your B and C and D plan would be if all of these bad things happen. And so protecting against that, still, you weren't setting goals such that you you had this narrow framing and you weren't open to opportunities, but you were sort of protected against the negative in a way. It's a very, um, uh, very military way of going about things. Because that, that, that great military line is like no battle plan survives first contact with the enemy. Mm. There's a, like there's literally like fifty seven different exits, and I think I, when I when I ride the motorbike, mm. um, one of the one of the kind of training things that I you know I've uh, been learning is that you know this is where I want to go, mm. and at every single point. That's where I go if things go bad, and that's where I go if things go bad. And as I move 100 meters down the road, now this car's here, this car's there, this car's mm. there. Okay, okay, that's my escape line. That's my escape line. You know, and they're just constantly yeah. being like. So when it happens, yeah, like, it's cool. Yeah, uh, it's one less decision I have to make, and I'm mm. I'm less you know bothered essentially because my brain already kind of knows mm. what to do. It's really it's the memento mori of plans. Yeah. It's it like yeah. let's let's focus on this not yeah, working. Absolutely. Because the idea because the thing the, the goal setting thing, it's um it's very binary and it can really mm. lock you into I did it with uh, Breakfast Radio. I'm like and then I went and I pushed just 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 put kicked every obstacle out of the way and got mm. there and went, ah <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> this isn't and what I thought know, it was going to be. When other people have their fingers in the pot, you set a goal. Yeah. And when other people have their own machinations that are happening and they can fuck with and move the goalposts, right, you you have a tendency to get disheartened by the fact that you haven't reached it. Mm. You know, and that's ridiculous in a way, right? Yeah. I remember when I first was learning to walk again using prosthetics and uh, I was at this hospital on the coast. It used to be called the Coast Hospitals. It's called Prince Henry when I was there. Uh, largely abandoned except for a couple of wards. But it had uh, – the whole place was had a kind of Shutter Island vibe about it, uh, but there was a golf club that was um, about 800 metres or a kilometre down down the road. And considering how 
awful the hospital food was, uh, it was a great place to go for lunch. Yeah. Some respite, culinary respite, I guess. Respite from respite? Yeah, that's right, yeah. And um, I, I'd already been up and walking with the help of uh, a wardsman type mm. person. And so it was about endurance at this point. So we're like, we're going to walk all the way to the golf club. And it was kind of a steady decline down a bitumen road and it was featureless and you could sort of see all the way down to the end and it looked really long. And I remember getting so disheartened. I remember I was halfway there and I, I made the ill-advised decision to sort of stop and get regain my composure. Ill-advised because standing is often more difficult with prosthetic legs than walking because you're not giving rest to each leg as you're striding. And I remember sitting there and looking down what would have been maybe 500 meters left to go. And it just looked so long. And I thought, you know, if I had the end goal in mind, I would never get there because I would be completely disheartened by the whole exercise. And it was only because as you're walking with prosthetic legs, because you can't feel the terrain and the terrain and the topography actually has a lot to do with how you walk on prosthetics. And so I'd have to watch the floor in front of me. Uh, just to see if there are any dips in the topography or whatever it is. And I realized what I would do is I'm keeping my eye on the road in front of me, but I would have these little milestones as I would go. It's like, just walk to this thing and just walk to that thing and just walk to the next thing. And I didn't look up the whole time. And I got there way faster than I thought I would. And I, by the time I reached the end, I was like, oh, I'm I'm here and so I started using that technique for everything that I did everywhere I walked. It was just like, just focus on the thing that's in front of you. Mm-hmm. Forget about what's up. you got a vague direction I'm going. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't, yeah supermarket. Yeah, Malabar. Yeah, yeah. Supermarket. <laughs> yeah. I'm going that direction. Yeah. Well, yeah, man, that, that could have been good as well. It could have been, they might have had something I wanted there. Yeah. And so I, I use this technique with everything now, and I use it in, my, in work. I use it in my social, anything. Just focus on what's in front of you and do the best at what's in front of you. And things fold out. Like, everything's always fine. I always end up sitting here talking to you, so it can't be that bad. Tell me about this idea that everything's always fine. Oh, everything's always fine. There's no idea. It's just everything's always fine. Everybody thinks that shit is getting real or getting really bad. I I started doing this thing a couple of years ago, which I want to revisit, which is stop watching the news every day, but just start reading publications that happen every month and see what effect it it has on your life, right? And I did this for, oh, I, I think I kept it up for three or four months. And it had a marked effect on on my demeanor. I was much happier because I wasn't subject to that if it bleeds, it leads type news story that's constantly trying to pump fear into you about geopolitical things or, or you know, social stuff, whatever it is. And you just read these monthly publications that summarize, you know, here's all the stuff that actually was important last month. Yeah, everything's fine. <laughs> everything's fine. Stop complaining. There's, there's people <laughs> listening right now going, but Tom, you don't understand. Yeah, like, that's right. I got yeah. this, I got my hex debt, and I got, I can't get it. My like, yeah. rent went up 100 bucks last week. I'm yeah. Like, like, how's everything fine when, you know? How's it not? We're still alive. Is that what you got? To? Yeah, that's what I got. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's strange, right? Because you can always look at your life from two different perspectives. You can look at it like, oh, you know, there's always someone worse off than me, and so I feel better. And then you can also say there's so many people that are better off than me, so should I feel worse? So I think that's that's a useless way to look at life. You know, just look at it in terms of 
how you are today and how you were yesterday and try and improve that. I can't get that far. I can't go all the way to the golf club. You can. <laughs> but can I get there? I can get there. Yeah. And you know what? I'm fine. Mm. How about over there? Two more steps. I can get there. Yeah. Yeah, I'm And fine. then just keep doing that. It's very hard when your brain, and I know this because it happened to me, when your brain's not working properly, it's very hard to not be in that sense of totality. Mm. It's very, very, very hard to yeah. see things at a granular level and be present to yeah, absolutely. this moment right here is actually okay. Yeah. But getting to that place is that for me, that has got to be the, that's the secret sauce. Right and also there. it harks back to what you were saying about when we we're talking about the hedonic treadmill kind of thing before, which is the idea of savoring the moment rather than just worrying about what the goal is and only mm. being happy once you get to the, mm. the end goal. And some people don't even do that because they're so sort of driven. They're kind of like, okay, yeah. what's the next thing? Oh, dude, I've done that. Like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's empty and meaningless. It's just like vacuous. It's awful. Yeah. When you get to the point where it's funny, because I remember taking my dog for a walk once, and this was years ago, and I'm, you know, dogs don't give a shit about the water. They want to sniff everything, right? Yeah. All they want to do is sniff because that's like reading the news for them, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm walking and along. And they haven't and I, been there for a month. So yeah, there's a lot to smell. There's a lot of news, right? Yeah. And so he's walking along. And he literally stopped to smell the roses. And I was like, oh, man, he's an, he's an idiot, right? But I've got things I can learn from that dog. <laughs> and, um, and I think to myself, you know, like how often do I actually just sit and appreciate where I am, not where I'm going? Uh, and since then I always have. I do all the time to a point where it's annoying <laughs> to other people. Right. <laughs> Does it bother people around you when you're in a heightened situation Perhaps, let's say, for example, if you were in an altercation with a significant other and mm. things are getting quite emotional and you're like, yeah, man, does it bother? I'm not, I don't have too many altercations with significant other, uh, but I, I'm definitely irritating to her. Absolutely. Yeah. On many levels. How? Um, oh, just constant whining. Yeah. I just you sit here for an hour telling me everything's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what do you whine about? Okay, well, I whine about two ply tissues. Yeah, right. <laughs> I whine about. Uh, I, I whine about all of the small things, and I do it constantly. Uh, like, for instance, I will drop an object, and there's something in the fucking universe. It always goes to the most inconvenient. Like, I'll drop this jewel, it'll go on the floor, and it will go underneath the couch, as far away from from my life as I can get. Right. That's just that's just my piece. Every door is against me, weirdly, I found recently. Uh -huh. When I try and open a car door, it's always closing back in on me. Uh, so, yeah, just little things like that. Also, you know, the place that I live, I was talking to someone about this the other day on a podcast. I need to live in a place where I hate 20% of it for some reason, right? Because if I loved everything about where I lived, I would have nothing to complain about. That's part of my identity. You want identity? That's part of my identity. So 20% of it is like... It's about that. It's it's like a Pareto distribution, like some weird kind of, I need to complain 80% about 20% of this shit. Is my right. Life. Yeah. So just being a little bit fucked off at stuff yeah. fuels you to do other things? Absolutely. No, well, it, it, just, it just makes me, it gives me purpose. And what is that? Just to complain about things. No, what's the purpose? What does it give you the purpose of? <laughs> Literally that, to complain about things. Because I'm, I'm pretty good at it. Yeah, yeah. There aren't too many things that I'm good at. That's one of them. But when I actually have a, an idea for a book called 100 Things I Hate and Why I Hate Them. 
bestseller immediately. Let yeah. me sign. I don't even own a publishing company. It's, I yeah, I've, I think I already told Penguin about it. They're like, mm, let's see how the first one goes. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, thank you for. Uh, you've got a quote on the I back do. of my book. I'm grateful, and uh, and also uh, in the acknowledgements because you you told me that what uh, that line that you said, which stuck with me all those years, which is as soon as you've got a book deal, treat it like it's your it's, job. It's your job. That was Ben Law told me that. Right. Okay. Well, okay. do you want me to change it to him then? <laughs> Immediately recall every every book, recall, yeah, destroy yeah. everything, yeah. put the draw press through them. Yeah. But I did that. So in, in 2019, I think I, I went to France for maybe four, four or five months in, in total over yeah, a couple the, times of the, the year. The most accessible of all fucking cities in I the know. world is Paris. But that's, see, there you go again, right? I love everything about Paris except for the accessibility. Oh, my God. It pisses me off. It's fucking worse. But you get to complain about it with the French, no less, who are the and, best at complaining. My gosh. And then there's the, the strikes and the, you know, yeah. it's great like that. That's why I love it. <laughs> um, well, look, I'm, I'm glad that you you wrote all this down. Um, mm. You've got a lot to give, Tom. A long, way, way, way more than you know, Agua shots over a fucking bar in William Street, mm. which I took for the team. I will point out we did ag- Agua. Yes, we did. What's, don't, I what's, don't what's Agua? It. Something made out of something. I don't know. Oh, it's made out of the leaf that they make cocaine out of. Oh. Uh, the coca, the coca leaf. Yeah, they make it out yeah. of coca leaf. Oh, really? Agua, it's a spirit made out of that. Ah, so yeah. that's your excuse for it was. It, no, it was the drink. It wasn't. It was. I didn't mean much of an excuse. Um, <laughs> but no, you got you got you got a lot to give, man. And 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 it takes a lot to choose to be public about it. And while you have been, you know, you know, self depreciating, telling me that you just like to complain about things, mm. um, if that gives you the place to stand to speak a truth to people who mm. otherwise. Um, wouldn't hear it. I'm glad yeah. that you're choosing to do so because you don't have well, to. Well, if they choose to listen, then I'm lucky. Well, you don't this. have to choose a life of facing public, but you do. Mm. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. And I'm grateful that you do. Okay. Because, right. no, well. no, really, I am. Because it's a, there's a lot you, you're an important voice in Australia. And I'm, I'm grateful that you've, you, you're choosing this path, man. I hope I continue to be. I hope you. <laughs> Keep giving your prosthesis challenges beyond measure. If I go off the rails, you'll let me know, won't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Also, if you'd like me to text you every time I find something to complain about, I can also do that. So you can get a well-rounded view of what I mean by that. If you can make it rhyme, yes. No, I'm not doing that. See? There you go. Barrier to entry. Just a small barrier to entry. What about... I'm not making things rhyme for you. What do you mean? I sit here... Usher, and I cry. <laughs> Once again, this fucking toilet's got to ply. See? Easy, mate. Right. That was, firstly, that was terrible. But it did I rhyme. I would take it. it <laughs> I would take it as like this effort. Okay. So you because want, it also you makes you reflect upon haiku. It also makes you reflect message. upon how fucking shitty and trivial the thing is you're complaining to me oh, about. Oh, I don't need to reflect on that. <laughs> I know exactly. <laughs> Oh, glad you came around, man. Thanks for having me again. See you. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for sitting in my little dark room under my house. By the way, I have to call Danny now because he's going to come. I'm having him over for dinner this uh, tonight. Oh yeah. Hey Siri, call Danny Clayton. Are we? Let's leave this on the podcast. <laughs> Is he back? He's back from Bali. Clearly. Yeah. He so. looked like he had a terrible time. <laughs> I wasn't watching. 
Hello. Hello. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm um, spectacular, Tom. How are you doing? Good. Are you okay? <laughs> are you uh, are you coming over here so we can lift you to Stanmore? Yeah, I'm. Uh, or do you want us to pick you up? I can come there from whatever sort of grief hole you currently reside in. Did Drop you have a nice time in Bali, Danny? Oh God, it was the best. Well, that sounds very loaded. What's happening? <laughs> no, I'm just asking. Was it good? It was brilliant. It was glorious. It I'm, was silly. It was fun. It looked fun. Um, yes. All right. Well. Um, so if, if you like, I can either make my way to your place or um, if web- it's easier, swing by mine. Yeah, maybe we'll swing by yours because by the time you get here, I'm not going to be standing out on the street like an asshole for like 40 minutes. Look, I've made you do it before. And, uh, exactly. And once bitten, twice shy. So okay. I'll just come to your place. Um, shame on you. Um, this okay, is a bad so, idea. In that case, uh, I will be at mine. Come, uh, come get me. I'll send you my address again. Come, okay. Come get me, baby. Come get me. All right. I'm going to let these guys go, and they're going to come get you, and you're going to have a lovely dealer, lovely dinner. All right, sweet. See you bye, man. Bye. 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 That is Tom Nash, hook, line, and sinner. Yeah, it's out now. He's a fantastic human, and if you see... Uh, DJ Hooky playing a gig on a poster anywhere near you, go see him. He's really good. Or if he's putting on a party, go to his party. He makes good parties. He knows what he's doing. I adore Tom. I adore the way he looks at life. He's so cool. Yeah, he's the best. I'll see you Wednesday. Thank you so much to everyone who helped me make the show. Andy Marr on audio and video post-production. Abby Benno, who produced the episode. Toe Hyder, who made all the music. You for listening and... Oh, we have a date now. We didn't have a date last time I was t- spoke to you, but we have a date now. I would urge you to vote yes. We'll talk more about that. We'll talk more about that. But yeah, vote yes. See you on Monday. Uh, no, I'll see you on Wednesday. Sorry. I'll see you Wednesday. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. Probably the easiest thing I've ever done. The medication comes in the mail and it's very easy to use. I've been able to live my normal lifestyle and I've lost 20 pounds already and I've never felt better. It changed my life. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. 
Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. 